All right, good morning once again. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church. I am so chuffed this morning, which means jazzed, excited to jump back into God's Word because we get to continue today our teaching series through the Classical Christian Spiritual Disciplines. Our, our series is called Imprint 2022. Uh, and this week, we're going to talk about... Uh, one of those outward expressions or outward disciplines or maybe corporate, uh, I forget if this is in the corporate or the outward, but uh, the spiritual discipline of confession. Confession. I'm not sure how that sits with you, but um, and I don't know if you've ever thought of that as a spiritual discipline, but I think after today's time discussing it, we may have a clearer picture of why it's such an important part of the life in Christ, but also the life together if we're going to have authentic, accessible, genuine uh, fellowship with each other and uh, fellowship with the Lord. We can't remain in hiding from God or from each other and really grow as a family. Really grow in our faith. And that's, I think, the, the real startling realization in that. Now, like I said, today is about confession. Look at this. I'm using both hands. I'm not even holding my Bible. You're like, freestyle. Uh, yeah, now I messed myself. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I was so excited there. I was a little discombobulated. Uh, when you hear the word confession, especially because you're sitting in church, what comes to mind for you? Would anyone be brave enough to share? When you think about confession, what comes to mind? Sin, okay. Confess your faults one to another, okay, good. Is anyone else thinking about an ornate wooden box in which you go on one side and there's a screen and there's some guy on the other side and you have to say something like, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, and then you unload all your dirty laundry? I've, ne I don't have, I've never been Roman Catholic. I've never actually done that. Most of my sense of what that's like or is about is from touring uh, cathedrals all across Europe and the United States and watching television. I watch a lot of British crime dramas and those factor into those sometimes. Um, but forgive me, Father, so I have, because I have, for I have sinned. You know, that's usually how it starts off, which raises some real theological issues as far as, you know, Christ the only mediator and already being forgiven. But anyway, uh, confession. Confession is kind of a charged word for a lot of people because it brings to mind like, oh, sin, avoid at all costs, right? Uh, lay it out in front of other people. Oh my goodness, I would rather um, not do that, ever. Uh, and then uh, some may be thinking of going into a big wooden box in a Catholic church. Confession, what does it mean then? So how do we restore that? How do we reclaim it as, a, as an essential spiritual discipline if we are following after Jesus? First and foremost, it's about our walk with the Lord. And secondarily, it's about our walk together. So we're going to jump into that today. And let's start here. Perhaps it's best that we go back to the beginning. Start in the Word. Start from the, an idea of what it means to live a, confession, uh, a confessional life with God, a life that's open to confessing. Here's what we know, and I want to start here. At the center of God's heart is the infinite desire to give and forgive. Okay, at the center of God's heart, there is an 
an infinite desire to give and forgive. So because of this, from the very beginning, God has set into motion this entire redemptive process that has culminated in Jesus Christ on the cross and was confirmed in Jesus Christ's resurrection. When we see the cross and when we see the resurrection, know that it is confirming something. God desires to give and to forgive, to reconcile, to seek and save all that was lost. It was love and not anger that brought Jesus to the cross. Can we agree about that? It was love, not anger, that brought Jesus to the cross. Jesus' crucifixion was the result of God's great desire to forgive, not His reluctance to forgive. Jesus' crucifixion was the result, was driven by God's desire to reconcile, not His need to vent His rage. I mean, sometimes we, we have a skewed perspective that, 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 that God allowed Jesus to go to the cross because he, he needed somebody to pay. He needed to just punish somebody for all of our wickedness and wrongdoing. But that's the wrong picture. Over and over again through Scripture, you see God's heart, and it's a, it's a heart that is filled with love, compelled by mercy, and eager to give and forgive. One of the ways, then, that we engage with and participate in God's great saving desire is through this spiritual discipline or practice of confession, of confessing, of bringing into the light, out into the open, all the stuff that's inside of us, both good and bad. So what is confession? Here's our working definition for today. I'll say it twice. Confession is joining with and sharing in God's heart and His desire to give, forgive, reconcile, and redeem. I'll read it again. Confession is joining with and sharing in God's heart and His desire to give, forgive, reconcile, and redeem. I hope that that picture, that, that characterization of God isn't surprising to you. I hope you've, you've heard the gospel enough. You've spent enough time in the Word. You've walked with Jesus long enough to know that, yes, that confirms what I know in my heart. Even when I condemn myself, even when my sins speak so loudly, I come back to this place that God is love, and Jesus is the incarnate expression of His mercy. He desires to give, forgive, reconcile, and redeem. So, without the cross, the spiritual discipline of confession would simply be therapeutic. We'd be only confessing to make ourselves feel better. But because of the cross, something spiritual and significant has happened. In confession, if confession is to be more than just guilt management or moral therapy, we need actual forgiveness. We need an actual encounter with God's mercy. We need to be able to come before God and experience something of His mercy and experience His forgiveness, something given to us, gifted to us. Because of the cross, confession becomes so much more than just guilty feelings and me saying I'm sorry. Because of the cross, confession becomes more than just apology. It involves an objective change in our relationship with God and a subjective experiential change in us. So something real happens here, but then something real happens in here about how we live our life and how we go forward from that moment, from that interchange. 
Confession is how, or in Jesus, our sins are forgiven, our relationship with God is restored, and we are redeemed, healed, set free, and given new life. So as we talk about confession that way, it sounds pretty great. Why wouldn't we confess? If confession indeed leads to us being redeemed, healed, set free, and given new life. Confession is how we participate in God's healing work in creation, and it's how we open up ourselves to the Holy Spirit's transformative work in our souls. The ongoing daily practice of confession keeps us available to the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you believe that? So this is great. This has been offered to us. This is the invitation we have, like confess your sins so that you might be healed and set free and made new and given new life. Great. Why don't we confess then? Do you guys find it difficult to confess? To bring it up? To lay it out even before the Lord? Let alone someone else? Is confession easy or fun? No. No, not really. I wrote that in my notes. No. Period. Not really. It's not. It's not fun. Why is confession so hard sometimes? I mean, if you're married, it's hard even to turn to your spouse sometimes and say, I've got a lot of junk in my life. I've got something hanging in my spirit that I can't move forward unless I bring it out in, to you. I need you to know about this so I can be free and move forward. But why is confession so hard sometimes? Well, I'll give basically two reasons. There's more, but I'm just going to focus on two for the sake of time. Confession is difficult because it reveals our shame. Confession is difficult because it reveals our shame. It exposes our failings and our weaknesses. And it requires us to step out into the open with no excuses. Man, that's hard. For so many reasons. I mean, that whole sentence is a mouthful. <laughs> it exposes our shame. It exposes our failing and weakness. And it requires us to step out into the open and step away from our excuses. Since the very beginning, we have struggled to admit our shortcomings. There's something in our human source code that says you don't like to look inadequate. You don't want to look like a failure. That's nothing we learn from our parents. There's nothing culturally indoctrinated in us. We just feel that way. It's in us. Adam and Eve, they hid behind the bushes, and we can all understand why. They got caught out in their sin and their shame and they went and they hid instinctively we understand why we too find ourselves hiding we find ourselves blaming others we find ourselves covering our shame and our nakedness with fig leaves of excuses rationalizations and minimizations but the thing is only in confession only by bravely stepping into the searchlight of God's redemptive will for us is forgiveness to be found. That's one of the most difficult parts of the whole story. You know, I mean, Genesis is fairly spare and a lot of metaphor there in the creation story and in the, in the creation and fall. Adam and Eve are found hiding behind the bushes with their fig leaf swimsuits on. And it skips right over to the next scene and doesn't really have the part where God had to say, hey, come out from behind the bushes. And then even more excruciatingly, he said, take those off. Take the fig leaves off. Because we know God did what? He had to kill some animals and make animal skins to cover their nakedness because the fig leaves were not adequate. 
The skins weren't permanent, but the fig leaves were not adequate. And there, can you imagine? I mean, I just feel this like tingly, like, oh no, I'm at school in my underwear dream feeling, you know? Where God had to say, take off the fig leaf speedo, Adam. They, Adam and Eve had to stand there naked, the, feeling the full force of their shame and their guilt before God. How awful that had to feel, right? And the Bible doesn't include that part, but you know it had to happen. They had to like, oh no. They had to take it off and like, this is me in all my grossness. Here I am, God. Wow. But unless we are willing, like Adam and Eve were, to bravely step into the searchlight of God's redemptive will for us, forgiveness will never be found. We have to do that. I think this is what the Apostle John wanted his readers to grasp, to maybe call to mind. But uh, John points out that in the light, when we step into the light of, of Christ, into the light of truth, we find fellowship. And in confession, we find forgiveness. Uh, turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there's no darkness in Him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His word has no place in our hearts. Whew. John seems to think it's important for us to be brave enough to step into the light because the transformation, the healing we seek is only found when we step into the light. Confession is difficult because it exposes our shame and our shortcomings. The second reason confession is difficult that I'll point out is it's because we often hold a wrong view of the church. Confession is difficult. It's hard for us because oftentimes we hold a wrong view of the church and of what the Christian community is for. We sometimes have been conditioned to think that the church is a fellowship of saints instead of a refuge for sinners. Have you found yourself in this place before? They think, oh, the church is all people that got their act together and I'm too jacked up. But when did we move on from the reality that the church is a refuge for sinners? It's a hospital for the broken. It's not a, it's not a bastion, a, a fellowship of the saints. It is a refuge for sinners who are saved by God's unmerited grace. We come to believe somehow that everyone else in the church has attained an extraordinary degree of holiness, far beyond what we will ever be capable of achieving. Have you ever saw yourself as kind of an other, an exception to all these other people that seem to not struggle? They don't have these besetting sins like I seem to have. Wow. I have no business being in this place with these people. So we end up feeling alone, we feel deficient, and we feel isolated in our sin. There are many people in the church, even here today, that are suffering from a sort of imposter syndrome. It's like, I have no business being here. If people really knew, if people really knew who I was, really knew what I've done, they would kick me out. They would not welcome me here because I'm so bad, I'm so broken. 
So we feel this imposter syndrome. So what do we do? Well, we fall into a habit of hiding. People in the church oftentimes uh, fall into a habit of faking it because we cannot bear the thought of revealing, of, of really revealing our failures and our shortcomings to others. I mean, it's pride, it's fear, it's whatever, but we go on faking it because we're too afraid of, of letting someone see it, to know it. So we do this, but then we go, we turn, and we complain then that the church is full of hypocrites. <laughs> we just can't win in this situation. So you got people that are uh, living in pretense in the church, but then they're also accusing that same church of being full of hypocrites. I mean, I love that when people say, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. You know what I say, don't you? It's like, well, come on in. There's room for more. You know? I mean, until we come to terms with our own hypocrisy, man, we're going to have a hard time moving forward in our walk with Jesus, right? So we complain that the church is full of pretense and hypocrisy as we go on hiding our true selves from each other as we go on comfortably, maybe uncomfortably, living a lie. But, here's the thing, if we believe that the church is first a refuge for sinners, we then become more free to embrace God's love um, and fall into His mercy and joyfully then, joyfully confess our needs before our brothers and our sisters in Christ. That there start to be an eagerness to say, hey, I need you in ways I didn't even recognize. But one of the ways I've discovered I need you is to take my confession. Let me tell you how I need Jesus today. This is where I've been struggling. This is where I've been beset. And I want to be healed. Will you go with me? I want to go to Jesus. Now, James, the brother of Jesus, he understood this joy and freedom that is on offer to us. Look at uh, James chapter 5, uh, 13 through 16. Oop, not there. Let's see, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Are any of you suffering hardships? No, just read about it. No, I'm just kidding. We, we suffer hardships, okay? You should pray. Are you suffering hardships? Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. 16, verse 16, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Here James is saying, hey, in the fellowship, part of the body life of the church should be this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. So, we, understand, we must understand this. We are sinners together, and we are saved by the grace of God together. It's one of the reasons God has called us together, that we would acknowledge our fallenness and our need, our deep thirst for salvation, but that we would also come together to discover that in this walk with Jesus together even, we are being saved. Here we begin, and here we must continue. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer summarizes, a man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. 
As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. You see, you may be necessary for me to be forgiven. In that I bring my, my sins and my shortcoming out into the presence of us, you and me, and in that it's into the light, and in that comes the forgiveness. That if I'm just holding it between me and God, sometimes it's not fully uh, a confession. I'm still holding the, the cards. I'm still controlling the situation. But when I bring it out in front of you, wow, my control is lost. It's out there in the world. And uh, something important happens to that. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. So, many of you may be th saying like, man, doesn't St. Alphonsus of Liguri say something about this? You'd be right. How do we develop the spiritual discipline of confession in the life with God? Well, let's look to St. Alphonsus Liguori. He was an 18th century um, Italian theologian. And he said... He said this, For a good confession, three things are necessary. An examination of conscience, sorrow, and a determination to avoid sin. For a good confession, three things are necessary. An examination of conscience, sorrow, and a determination to avoid sin. Let's unpack those. An examination of conscience. What is that? What is it? Why is it so important for us to examine our conscience? What is it? It's inviting God to move upon the heart and show us where we need His forgiveness and His healing. we got to stop. We have to assess. Where are we at? Where have we been? What's going on? What am I thinking? What am I doing? What am I thinking about doing? A, an, an examination of conscience. Now, this requires courage. This requires a willingness to identify and deal with definite sins in our lives. A generalized confession may save us from humiliation and shame, so be on your guard. But here's the thing, a generalized confession, while it may save you from humiliation and shame, it will not clear away the debris of that sin, and it will not allow that inner healing to take place. The inner healing that you need. In our confession, we bring the concrete, actual, named sins of our heart and the flesh out into the open. We bring the sins of our heart like pride, jealousy, anger, fear, lust, and the sins of our flesh, the laziness, the theft, the gluttony, the adultery, the murder, and we say it. We call it by name. When I say generalized confessions, I think you know what I'm talking about. We'll sit in front of the youth group or whatever and say, hey, I'm really struggling with my thought life. You know, or I'm really struggling with uh, whatever, whatever your friends may or may not know about you. But it gets a lot more gritty and a lot more real when you say, I was blank when I was blank. And so I did blank. You know? I mean, parents, you make your kids actually say what they did when they're asking forgiveness, right? Man, it's the same for us. When we actually say what we did, ugh, it's so hard. But it's so much more real. There's a Chinese proverb that says, the beginning of wisdom is to call something by its proper name. And I think that applies here. The beginning of wisdom is to call something by its proper name. We must call the sin in our life by its proper name. Identify it. 
name it if it's ever going to be truly brought out into the open and forgiven and healed. Something important happens when we call our sins by name, feeling and tasting them in our mouth as we confess them to God and to others. Have you ever done this? You've ever had to name what you did? Ah, oh, it's a gross feeling. But it's the it's the debriding of the wound. It's the cutting out of the of the of the of the decay of the putrefaction. That's a good word, right? It's removing all that's sick and all that's gross. It hurts and it's disgusting. But if you're going to heal, it must happen. It is not pleasant, but it is necessary in helping us come clean. Name your sin. It starts with the examination of the conscience. The second thing St. Alphonsus of Liguori says name, yeah, Alphonsus, yes, is sorrow. We must feel the full weight of our sorrow. What is sorrow? It is, it is an abhorrence at having committed the sin. It is a deep regret at having offended the heart of God. It's right, it's appropriate to feel this. Sorrow is an issue of the will before it is an issue of the emotions. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. Sorrow is an issue of the will before it is an issue of the emotions. We can't just be guided by whether or not we feel bad about something or feel sorrow about something. We must seek and identify and then choose that says, my will is sorrowful because I know this, this offends God. This goes against His way and His will in my life. So you can't just go by the, by the way you're feeling about it because as we examine our conscience, things will bubble to the surface that are like, oh, gross, I didn't even know that was there. Oh, no. I will seek godly sorrow here. Feeling sorry for yourself is not the point of the spiritual discipline of confession. Godly sorrow is the point. Okay, There's a difference here. There's human sorrow, or fleshly sorrow, and then there's godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is the point. Turn to 2 Corinthians uh, 7. And Paul kind of explains this a little bit for us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11. Paul has written this letter, uh, his second letter to the Corinthian believers, but it's a little bit sharp if you know Corinthians' letter, the letter to the Corinthians. They're a little terse sometimes. But anyway, Paul in verse 8 of chapter 7 says, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful for you to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants His people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret in that kind of sorrow, but the worldly sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such long, longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. Look at that verse 10. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in what? Salvation. There's no regret in that kind of sorrow, but... Worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So the point of sorrow is not just moping around or feeling guilt. I mean, everybody feels that. 
It's the kind of sorrow that drives you to repentance. It's the kind of sorrow that drives you to God, not away from God. Okay? Check your sorrow. What is it doing? Is it pushing you further away from God? Or is it driving you to God? That's one of the easiest ways to tell. Is this worldly sorrow? Or is this godly sorrow? Is the sorrow you're feeling because of the sin, because of the transgressions, the trespass, is it making you say, I've got to get to Jesus. I've got to go find shelter in God. I have to be forgiven and healed here. Or is it pushing you away into hiding? Are you going behind the bush? Or are you stepping toward God? So, examination of the conscience, sorrow, and the third, Alphonsus Liguri points out, points out, is a determination to avoid sin. A determination to avoid sin is a God-given yearning for holy, redeemed living and a rejection of unholy, sinful living. This is what repentance is. Does anyone know what the word repent actually means? To change your mind, to turn and go in a different direction, okay? It's just like, ew. That's repentance. Or like, actually, I thought that would be great, and I think it's actually killing me. I think I'll do something different. Repentance. Repentance. It is a God-given yearning for holy, redeemed living and a rejection of unholy, sinful living. It's the will to be delivered from sin that rightly prepares us for confession. Desiring it, choosing it in your heart of hearts. I choose to be delivered from sin. I want, I desire to be delivered from sin. And that's what prepares us for confession, for coming to God in sorrow and in humble repentance. As Richard Foster explains, we must desire to be conquered and ruled by God. Or if we do not desire it, to desire to desire it. Sometimes that's the starting point, right? Man, I want to want that. I don't, want to, I don't feel it right now, but I want that. So let me start with it by wanting to want it. Okay, We must desire to be conquered and ruled by God, or if we do not desire it, to desire to desire it. Such a desire is a gracious gift from God. The seeking of this gift is one of the prerequisites for confessing to a brother or sister. So we're desiring God first, and that desire then drives us to our brother or our sister to bring that into confession. So, that raises the question then. To whom should we confess? Okay, this is great to talk about and understand. Yeah, we can stack hands like, yeah, we should be confessing, not hiding our sins. Well, let's bring it down to a more practical level. To whom should we go to confess? Is that something you can just do with your pastors or, or the elders? No. Every Christian can receive the confession of another Christ follower. Every Christian can do that. While every Christian can receive the confession of another, not every Christian, though, has sufficient maturity to receive your confession. Not every Christian has sufficient empathy or understanding. you got plenty of brothers and sisters, plenty of people you know in the church, and there's some that you're like, yeah, I could probably go to them. And then there's some that have a big red X, like, nope. <laughs> a big boatload of nope on that person. And you know why? Because it's oftentimes about spiritual maturity, uh, empathy, or understanding. Don't confess to someone who is unable to keep confidence. Do not confess to somebody who can't avoid gossip. Just, it's okay. You're not sinning by not confessing to that person. If they're not trustworthy enough to keep what you tell them in confidence and, and avoid gossiping about it, just don't tell them. 
Uh, also, avoid someone who would be horrified at what you're about to tell them. Okay? Uh, avoid someone who would be judgmental about your confession. Okay? I mean, you may be telling them something truly horrifying, you know, but you want someone that's going to be gentle enough with you and has fought enough of their own battles to hear what you say and say, let's go to Jesus. Here's a third one. Be careful about this. Some people do not understand the nature or the value of Christian confession and what will they try to do. You will tell them what's been weighing heavily on your heart, that which has been disgusting you in your spirit. You'll lay that out in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in honesty, in humility, and they will try to brush it off or fix it. They'll try to uh, minimize it. Like, oh, that's okay. Everybody struggles with that. You know, we say that to be nice, but really that's not what you need in that moment. When you find the courage, the guts to bring it out and say, I am broken by my sin. This is what I've been doing. You don't need someone who's like, oh, pfft. I've done way worse. You know, there's always that one-upsmanship like, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> Check this out. You know, you don't need that person. You don't need someone that's going to minimize, that's going to brush it away or, or try to fix it. Instead, you want someone that's going to sit with you and they're going to join you at the cross in prayer and in repentance. Someone that will listen compassionately and say, let's go to Jesus. Let's bring this to the cross and let's lay it before Him and let's cry out for His mercy. Ask God to reveal people in your life to whom you can confess. These people should be humble. They should have a vibrant faith in God's power to forgive. And they must be exhibiting the joy of the Lord in their life in spite of their own besetting sins. They must possess spiritual maturity, wisdom, compassion, trust, integrity, common sense, and a wholesome sense of humor. Isn't it good for your soul to, to, to go through that darkness with somebody, to bring all this junk into the light, and there's someone that can just say, hey, this is pretty funny, actually. You know, they make some, they can really lighten the mood by bringing appropriate humor into the moment and say, ah, it's not all bad and broken. We can laugh together. We can be healed together. So find someone that has spiritual maturity, wisdom, compassion, trust, integrity, common sense, and a wholesome sense of humor. What if you're the person that someone is coming to in order to confess? On receiving confession, there is preparation involved in hearing confession of a brother or sister in Christ. If you know someone's coming to you and they're going to be intentionally confessing to you, do some preparation in your own heart. Maybe there's some confession you need to do first. Maybe you need to prepare yourself spiritually to get yourself into that place where you can do these things appropriately. You can listen carefully. You cannot minimize. You can actually be present and listen. We begin by learning to live under the cross. We begin by planting our feet firmly in God's grace. Bonhoeffer goes on to say, Anyone who lives beneath the cross and who has discerned in the cross of Jesus the utter wickedness of all men and of his own heart will find there is no sin that can ever be alien to him. Anybody who has once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross will no longer be horrified by even the rankest sins of a brother. You heard what he's saying there? You need to seek to come to terms with the grossness and the wickedness of your own sin. 
and the part it played in nailing Jesus to the cross. So that when someone brings their sin before you in confession, uh, you're no longer horrified. No matter what they say, no matter what they dredge up, you're not horrified because you know it's in us. We are all capable of such things. The, rank, the rankest sins of a brother. Richard Foster adds, The discipline of confession brings to an end brings an end to pretense. The discipline of confession brings an end to pretense. God is calling into being a church that can openly confess its frail humanity and know the forgiving and empowering graces of Christ. Honesty leads to confession, and confession leads to change. May God give grace to the church once again to recover the discipline of confession. Yes, Lord. Let's make much. Let's make much of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. And let's stop pretending that we don't need God's grace. Let's stop pretending that we don't need God's forgiveness every day. The longer you stay in hiding, the longer you avoid confession, the longer you will miss out on this great freedom that has been afforded to us through Christ's death and resurrection freedom so one final note on on uh, preparation for confession because that's what we're gonna all be doing this week right right one final note there must be a definite ending point to that self-examination process we're not called to always be whipping ourselves or wearing the hair shirt or you know punishing ourselves for the sinfulness in this God knows about it and yet He still sent Jesus. Yet He still placed the Holy Spirit as a deposit in your life. He knows. You don't have to go around whipping yourself. You don't have to go around being uncomfortable and feeling like I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm a worm. If we do not have a def definite ending point in the self-examination process, we risk falling into self-condemnation. We, we risk uh, living in unending sorrow. Because Paul says you should feel godly sorrow, but that godly sorrow should lead you to repentance so that there's reconciliation. Ours is to not constantly live in sorrow, self-condemnation, woe is me. Confession begins in sorrow, but it ends somewhere else. Confession begins in sorrow, but it ends in joy. It ends in forgiveness, and it ends in freedom. Why did the apostle... What is it that Paul told us here? Why is it that Christ died for us? Why is it that Christ has set us free? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is not for the sake of you seeing how dumb you are, or how broken or how incapable you are spiritually to live a life pleasing to God, it is for freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from sin. Freedom from self-condemnation. Freedom from worldly sorrow that leads to death. Hear this as invitation. Confession opens up a way for us to be healed and reconciled and given new life, to be given freedom. Praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Father, oh man, we need to hear this. Sometimes we're, we're so used to hiding in plain sight. 
We go through the motions. We, we come to church. We worship. We sing the songs. We, we read the Bible verses. We do all this stuff. We nod along to the sermon. But we know that deep in our hearts we're living in hiding. We're very well established behind the bushes. Got a wardrobe full of fig leaf outfits, actually. But God, uh, in your great mercy, you call us out from behind the bushes. You call us to strip naked and just feel the humility, humiliation and shame of our sin so that you can dress us, so that you can heal us, so you can make us new, and that you, so you can set us free. The whole idea in sending Jesus was that we'd be set free, that we wouldn't have to live under the guilt and shame of our shortcomings and of our rebellion and, and disobedience. Or the, the, our religious imaginations always want to draw us back to that understanding of we have to sacrifice, we have to suffer in order to appease the gods. But this is why, God, you're so surprising. You come to us. You lift the burden off of us. You place it on Jesus, and He satisfies it. The blood guilt of our sin, Jesus satisfies it. By dying on the cross, He, he appeases your, your righteous demands for justice. And then in His resurrection, as the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, He opens the way to new life. So we, following after Him, we can be forgiven. We can have the load of our guilt and shame lifted off of us, and we can be uh, given new life. We can discover freedom, but God, it requires that we repent, that we turn, and that we follow, that we bring all this stuff out. We call it by name, and we surrender it. God, I pray that we become a people that are more and more familiar with confession, that our church would be one that's starting to discover the value of confession, of bringing our sins up from the depths, out of the darkness, into your glorious light, so that you would be able to heal us, forgive us. And God, give us wisdom to know who and how we ought to bring that before our brothers and sisters too. Lord, work confession into our uh, daily rhythms. God, make us a people that just crave the freedom that Jesus has made available, we ask. We're going to sit for a moment, and uh, this is a time to interact with Jesus. In the power of the Holy Spirit, just sit, process these things, because maybe there's something hanging heavy in your heart. And uh, we're going to take a minute or two just to introspect, to pray. And as you're doing this, Prepare yourself for a time of communion. This is really a great picture of what we're confessing today. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, by your shed blood and your broken body, only by these things am I saved. Only by these things is a way been opened for me to be reconciled to God, reestablished in my, my, my relationship with God. So as you sit with these things and hold them out in open hands before the Lord, uh, say, search me and know me. That examination of conscience, that godly sorrow, and that deepening commitment to avoid sin. Work through all those things right now. And then, here in a few moments, when you're ready, I'm going to ask that you come down and uh, be served. And once you're served, go back to your seat. And then once everyone has uh, got their bread and their cup... Uh, we'll partake together as a confession together. Yes, Jesus, we need you. We remember what you've done for us.
Thank you for the blood that was shed. Thank you for the body that was broken. Thank you that I've been given new life. Forgiveness is possible. Freedom is possible. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So make the most of this opportunity and come when you're ready.